Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. And welcome and greetings from rainy Ohio. We've been getting a lot of rain. Uh, so greetings. I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. Welcome. So, uh, and as always, we'll go ahead and open with prayer. If um, Mike, can you okay. open us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings you send our way. We ask that you uh, bless the listeners with your word that will give them understanding and knowledge of, of uh, your word. We love you, Lord, and we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And um, if let's, um, let's do a real quick review. Uh, Pam, did you bring any stats? Um, I do have some. They can hear us all over the world, and where are they listening from? Yes, the stats that I got this week, um, we had 112 um, on-demand listeners from the United States, 33 in China, three in Brazil, and two in Canada. Now this is the uh, Voice of America broadcast and they can tune into that in different areas. I have not received the stats from the other listening avenues. And uh, Facebook, we're on still hitting 2,500. Very good. All right, very good. Glad to welcome all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and with those listeners, uh, did you gather any questions for this week? That we you did. Got from last week? Yes. Um, last week, we had two questions come in. And the first one is, could you explain the significance in baptism, past and present? What is the significance of baptism today? So let's, let's look at that together. Um, start with me in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And the first thing that you need to understand when you think about the subject of baptism is that there is more than one baptism in the scriptures. Sometimes people think, well, there's only one baptism, it's water. That's just literally not true. So Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11 I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. Well, that's obviously water baptism because it's baptism with water. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In that single verse, there's three different baptisms. There's water, there's fire, and the Holy Ghost. And the the baptism of fire is defined in the next verse. Look at verse 12. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, that baptism there of fire is not something you want. It's unquenchable. It's obviously a reference to hell. So what have we seen so far? Baptism in the scripture, there's more than one kind. So whenever you're talking about the subject of baptism, you need to understand which one you're talking about. You're in Matthew 3. Look with me at verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. John the Baptist obviously had a water baptism. The particular gospel he was teaching is in Matthew 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So when we think of water baptism, the, the person that people think of the most is John the Baptist, because he, of course, preached water baptism. And in fact, his very name tells you that he was pretty big into water baptism. Well, to understand what John is really doing, we're going to have to look a little bit at the Old Testament. So get with me Exodus 19, verse 5. What we just saw in Matthew 4.23 is that when John was preaching, both he and the Lord were preaching what Scripture calls the gospel of the kingdom. And what we need to do is we need to understand what kingdom they were speaking of. So Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. In Exodus 19, this is when Moses is giving the law to Israel. He specifically tells Israel, God's purpose for Israel is to make you a kingdom of priests. In Matthew 4.23, when the Lord is preaching the gospel of the kingdom, it is the gospel, it is the good news about Israel becoming a kingdom of priests. So with that understanding, get with me 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What First Peter is talking about is this. It's addressed to the believing remnant in Israel. What do I mean by that? When the Lord showed up during his earthly ministry to Israel, did everyone in Israel believe him, or did only a remnant believe him? It was only part of Israel that believed him. Mm -hmm. Luke 12, 32 calls it the little flock. Well, what God was doing, the leadership at that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were doing all sorts of things that the Lord did not approve of. That's why the Lord said the kingdom would be taken from them and given to the little flock, the holy nation, what 1 Peter 2 calls the royal priesthood. Get with me Leviticus 21. Leviticus 21. I want to show you a couple verses in the Old Testament that explains God the Father's process for putting someone into the priesthood. Now, why does that matter? Well, the gospel of the kingdom is about forming a kingdom of priests. So we need to know what does it take to be a priest, right? That just logically follows. Mm -hmm. So Leviticus chapter 21, verse 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, 
whosoever he be of thy seed in their generations that hath any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach a blind man or a, or a lame, or he that hath a flat nose or anything superfluous, or a man that is broken footed or broken handed or crook backed or a dwarf, or that hath a blemish in his eye or be scurvy or scabbed or hath his stones broken. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron the priest shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. So what is Leviticus 21 saying? Well, in order for one of the sons of Aaron to be put into the priesthood, he obviously had to be a perfect physical specimen. If he was broken handed or broken footed or had scurvy or had any of those conditions, then that man could not be put into the priesthood. Now, I don't know if you recall this, but we were in Matthew 4.23, and it talked about the gospel of the kingdom. It also talked about the healing of diseases. When you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see the gospel of the kingdom preached, it's connected with healing. The reason it's connected with healing is in order to put someone into the priesthood, they have to be a perfect physical specimen. So if that's the case, what would God need to do in order to form a kingdom of priests? He would have to heal the people of the physical problems that they had so that pursuant to the requirements Mm -hmm. of Leviticus, they could properly be put into the priesthood. In other words, the healing ministry that went on in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it wasn't just, hey, let's do something fancy that, you know, it'll be really cool to watch. It, it, it wasn't that. There was mm-hmm. a doctrinal purpose. God was forming a kingdom of priests, and to put someone in the priesthood, they have to be a perfect physical specimen. So as an, as an unavoidable necessity, there had to be a healing program. Now look with me at Exodus 29. Exodus chapter 29, and we'll look at verse 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. In other words, there's a procedure here. There's a process that has to take place to put someone into the priest's office. Just to give you an example, you've, you've all probably seen before an inauguration where someone is taking office. And what happens? Well, there's a procedure that's followed, right? They normally take an oath of office. They swear to uphold and defend the Constitution. You know, in other words, there's a certain right way of doing things. There's a certain process that is followed to put someone into an office. And that was true with putting someone into the priest's office. So Exodus 29, verse 1, it says, Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread and cakes unleavened tempered with oil, and so on. Now go down to verse 4, just for the sake of time. And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, notice this, and shalt wash them with water. So part of the procedure for putting someone into the priest's office is they needed to be washed with water. It was a requirement. Go down to verse 7. 
Then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. So what I'm going to suggest to you is this. I think it's easy to connect this. John the Baptist was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom was connected with healing. The gospel of the kingdom was based upon Exodus 19.5, the purpose of forming a kingdom of priests. Well, if you're going to form a kingdom of priests, they have to be perfect physical specimens. That's why there was a healing program. They have to be washed with water. And that is why John the Baptist baptized people with water, because he was fulfilling what Exodus 29 required to put them into the priest's office. And then Exodus 29, verse, verse 7 said, after you wash them with water, what do you need to do? You have to anoint them with oil. Well, what happened shortly after John the Baptist's ministry? Well, in Acts 2, there was an anointing with the Holy Spirit. So what does this all tell you? Water baptism is a procedure. It is something that is done to allow Israel to become the kingdom of priests that God intended it to be. Get with me Exodus chapter 4, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, many people think, well, we should be water baptized today because John the Baptist baptized people with water and Paul was baptized with water, and the Lord was baptized with water, and so on. But look at what Exodus 4 says. Exodus 4, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. Notice what it says, one baptism. So how many baptisms are proper for today? Only one, even though there's more than one baptism in the scriptures, but there's only one that's proper for today. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Well, the, the, the baptism that we have today, it's not a water baptism to make us a kingdom of priests and part of Israel, because we're not part of Israel. We're part of the body of Christ. Israel has an earthly inheritance. The body of Christ has a heavenly inheritance. The baptism we receive today is a spiritual baptism that places us into the body of Christ. So to, to answer the question specifically, what was the purpose of baptism? Baptism was given to Israel to form a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. That's not what we are today. What we are today is when we believe the gospel, we become part of the body of Christ, and we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We have a house of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So water baptism is not something that is necessary today for you to be saved. It's not necessary to put you into the Israelite kingdom of priests. You have a different purpose. So that was a long answer, but we hope that mm -hmm. helps you understand yeah. the purpose of baptism. And uh, what you really need to understand today is the gospel. Yes. Uh, and definitely, because that seems like it's a popular question. So it mm -hmm. seems like that's on a lot of people's mind. So uh, thank you, David, for answering that. Do we have another question? We do. Um, why do you think people have so many issues accepting the Apostle Paul's doctrine? 
Let's. That is a good question. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Ephesians chapter (laughs) 3. Ephesians 3, verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So we understand the mystery was hid from the beginning of the world. And then verse 10 says, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That's fascinating because what that's saying is God through the church is communicating to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. In other words, Satan and his minions that currently occupy positions in heaven, those haven't been taken from them yet. They will be, but they haven't been yet. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So God is making something known under those principalities and powers. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. That is the scriptural definition of what a mystery is. It's wisdom that has been hidden, and it's hidden until God decides to reveal it. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So when it's talking about the princes of this world, it's not talking about human princes. It's talking about the the principalities and powers in heavenly places. In in other words, the, the evil satanic authorities in the heavens. They are the ones that wanted to, to crucify the Lord of glory. You may recall this in Luke 22. Satan actually enters into Judas right before the betrayal occurs. That's because Satan was very, very much in favor of the cross. So think about this with me just for a minute. Luke 22, Satan is in favor of the cross. He enters Judas because he wants the Lord to be betrayed and he wants the cross to happen. But you fast forward a few years, and 1 Corinthians 2 says, None of the princes of this world knew the mystery, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, Satan made what he now recognizes as an enormous mistake. Mm -hmm. He was in favor of the cross, but now he realizes I shouldn't have done that. Now, for our purposes, what we need to understand is what is it that Satan didn't understand? Satan knew that the resurrection would occur because in John chapter 2, The Lord said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So Mm -hmm. Satan knew about the resurrection before the cross. He wasn't surprised by the resurrection. And Satan knew that the cross would redeem Israel. We know that because Matthew 121 says, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In other words, before the cross happened, Satan knew The Lord was going to die. He knew he was going to resurrect, and he knew that he would redeem Israel. He knew all of those things, and he was still in favor of the cross. But what 1 Corinthians 2 says is, well, if you knew this mystery, then you wouldn't have been in favor of the cross. Mm -hmm. So here, what is that? Get with me Colossians chapter 2. 
What we know about the mystery is this, and Ephesians 3 defines it, and we've actually talked about it in previous episodes, but what God is forming today is he's forming something called the body of Christ. And what that means simply is this. When you believe the gospel today, you are spiritually placed into what is known as the church, the body of Christ. You're placed into God's church for today. And that church for today is going to inherit positions in the heavenly places. So if you think about, just put yourself in Satan's shoes for a minute. Right now, a bunch of those positions in heavenly places, he and his evil angels occupy those because God hasn't kicked them out just yet. But they will be kicked out in the future. And when they are kicked out, members of the body of Christ are going to move into those positions. Get with me Colossians 2, verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has spoiled them. In other words, he's, he's defeated them militarily, and he has plundered them. He's taken their possessions, what they had. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In other words, he completely defeated them. He took from them everything they had. He made a show of them openly. So think about this for a minute. If you're Satan, how do you feel about the mystery? Well, you hate it because you lost everything you had. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you did it to yourself because Satan was in favor of the cross, right? He Mm -hmm. wanted it to happen. And then he realizes on the other side of it, wow, that was, that, was a, that was a massive mistake. I just lost everything. And now the Lord is making known to principalities and powers in heavenly places Satan's defeat and God's superior wisdom. Now, you know how that all fits together with why people don't believe the mystery, why they have trouble accepting Paul's apostleship? Satan hates the mystery with a passion. Mm-hmm. Because it's his defeat, it's his loss, it's his humiliation, it's the demonstration that God's wisdom is so superior to Satan's that all God had to do is there's one little secret I'm not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep it hidden for a little while. Mm-hmm. I'll reveal it eventually, but right now I'm not going to tell you. And by virtue of Satan not knowing it, he says, I'm going to crucify Jesus of Nazareth. I'm going to defeat the Son of God on the cross, and this is going to be to my benefit. God doesn't tell him no. God says, okay, go with that plan if that's what you think. And Satan realizes later, wow, enormous mistake. So the short answer as to why more people don't recognize Paul's apostleship is that Satan, as the God of this world, hates Paul's apostleship. It's an embarrassment to him, and he does everything he can to mock this teaching, to blind people to this teaching, to prevent this teaching from happening. That's what's really going on on the earth right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, and that's good. And kind of to go um, back to, a little bit back to the the water baptism, uh, we do have someone that says um, that uh, the verse that stood out to them was Colossians two twelve. Um, in regards to baptism, what, what do you, um, how do you put that in? 
Yeah, Colossians two twelve says buried with him in baptism. That's not that's not water. Um, the buried with him in baptism, wherein ye also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. The the cross reference that helps with Colossians two twelve is Romans six. Get Romans six if you would. Romans chapter six, and we're going to look at verse three. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, notice what it says, were baptized into his death. It doesn't say we were baptized into water or a lake or a pond. It says we were baptized into his death. Read verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Again, it's Christ's death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Here's what this simply means. What, what the Holy Spirit does the moment you believe the gospel is you are spiritually baptized into Jesus Christ's death. You're spiritually identified with his death. And just as you are spiritually identified with his death, what do you also participate in? His resurrection. And that's why we have a new spiritual life. So what Colossians 2 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 6 are talking about is the spiritual baptism that a believer experiences today into Jesus Christ's death when they believe the gospel. Mm -hmm. All right. That's good. All right. Great explanations on both of these questions. And listeners, thank you for um, sending posting these questions. Yes for us. All right. And so we are going to um, move back into our Ephesians. Okay. Um, Ephesians chapter three, and I will preface with uh, verse 13 through 18. And this is the um, theme is the prayer for inner fullness and knowledge. Okay. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might of his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And I'll read 19. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. Thanks, Powerful. <laughs> the, um, what, what Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 are focusing on is they're focusing on the vastness, just how enormous is God's love. Uh, there's a couple cross-references that help with that. So Romans chapter 8, verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
In other words, what it's clearly saying is there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Can't be things in the future. Can't be things now. Can't be angels or principalities or powers. Can't be Satan. Can't be, you know, there's nothing, right? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. What, what Ephesians 3 18 and 19 are talking about when it says may be able to comprehend with all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. There's just no getting away from it. You know, there's nowhere in the universe for you to, as a saved person to get away from the love of God, you're not going to be able to be separated from it. Uh, His love is just that expansive. It's that extensive. Now what's sort of fascinating is that verse 19 then says the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Uh, in other words, the, the love of Christ is is so incredible that it's just, it passes knowledge. It's, it's beyond our ability to understand. Philippians 4 verse 7 says something similar. Look with me, if you would, at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there are two things that Paul says pass our knowledge or understanding. In other words, they're just too great for us to comprehend. And that is the love of Christ and the peace of God. Um, And I'll just say one more thing about the, the peace of God. What seems to have happened over the past year with the pandemic is many people are unsettled, right? They're fearful of the disease. Mm -hmm. They're fearful of, governmental action. They're fearful of vaccines. They're fearful of, you know, all sorts of things, economic situations and so on. And there's just a lot of fear that's going on. But what Philippians 4, 7 tells us is that the peace of God passes all understanding. We can have peace in the midst of the chaos of the world. If you think about this earth, this earth is going to pass away. This earth is not eternal. And yet we can't be separated from the love of Christ, meaning that there is really nothing uh, on this planet in our existence that should cause us to be overly troubled because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And the, the, the peace of God also passes all understanding. We can have that in the midst of the mm-hmm. circumstances of life. And knowing who we are and just enjoy the trip. Knowing where we're going yes. to end up, just enjoy the trip. Yes. The, the ending is a good one. So you might as well, the ending's a good one. You might as well enjoy getting there. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yes. Okay. And the peace that it brings. Amen. So <laughs> someone want to read 320? Sure. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So that verse is interesting because God can't, it's not that he can just do more than we ask or think. It's exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think. In other words, we, we, we don't, we haven't scratched the surface of what God is able to do. And then the end of the verse says, according to the power that worketh in us. So there's something that works in us. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 13. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. 
For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, notice, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So God's word works in our life. And the, the key thing is we need to believe. We need to operate on the basis of faith and God works in our life. Let's do verse 21, please. Okay, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. So God is glorified by his church. Uh, and, and just a word on that. What happens with every saved person today is you have someone that deserved to go to hell because of their sins. That's the reality of it. And yet the, the magnitude of God's grace and love for Jesus Christ to die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sins, and give us eternal life as a free gift. And, and God has done that for millions and millions and millions of people, millions of sinners that were desperately wicked and, and you know, just in, in a horrible, hopeless state of affairs. Well, that, that redounds to the glory of God. Only, only a God of great, of, of incredible love and grace could do that. Get with me Isaiah 45, 17, if you would. There's an interesting phrase in Ephesians 3, 21. It ends with world without end. The, the other place you find world without end is in Isaiah 45, verse 17. Isaiah 45, verse 17. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Now, what's, what's fascinating parallel about that is there's two world without end verses. The first one is about Israel, that Israel has an everlasting salvation. The other world without end verse is about the church of today, the body of Christ. So if you just think about it simply, God has Israel for the earth, that's his eternal purpose in the earth, is to form the nation of Israel and give them an eternal inheritance in the new Jerusalem on the new earth. And then God has the body of Christ, which has an eternal inheritance in the heavens. And that's his purpose of what he's going to accomplish in the future. Should we, should we do Ephesians 4.1 next? All righty. Yep, we can, go, we can start that and then we'll, um, we'll go to break, but we'll go ahead and start that. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthily of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So Ephesians 4 verse 1 tells us to walk worthy. The best cross-reference on that is Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. Colossians 1 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Colossians 1 tells us that there are two things that go with walking worthy. The first is being fruitful, and the second is increasing in knowledge. And the idea there is, uh, let's take the first one first, increasing in knowledge, God wants us to know him better. 
he wants us to read his word and study his word because that's how we that's how we learn more about him and we learn more about what he is doing during the dispensation of grace and so therefore increasing in the knowledge of god is foundational to walking worthy let me give you an example a lot of times people do things where they um it's an idea they have to do or they're taking a verse of scripture from a different dispensation and that's what they're living out well god wants us to do the things that he is doing today if i were to for example build an ark and i'd say well god i'm building an ark because ohio's had a lot of rain this season and so i'm going to build an ark that would be sort of silly, wouldn't it? It would be an act of unbelief because God has promised not to flood the earth. The right thing for me to do is to have an understanding of what God is doing today and then line up with that. The next thing we'll look at in verse one is it says that we walk worthy of the vocation. Well, a vocation, it's it's a calling by the will of God. And so we've been called into God's kingdom and therefore we should walk worthy. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse 12 says that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Now, one more thought on verse one before we get ready for break, and that's this. People will sometimes say, well, grace means you can live any old way you want. You can sin as much as you like. That's not what the verses are saying. The verses are a command for us to walk worthy of the Lord who died for us. And that that's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And leading, leading into um, uh, break, uh, we have, um, I'm just going to say a quote from um, Larry from our Facebook live says, um, Oh, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forever more endure. So we'll the saints and the- angels song. Yes, <laughs> we'll take that to break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show. Hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? 
Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to the radio program, Why Paul? If you'd like to participate in today's program, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to michaelrmix at 14thstreetministries.com. Now, back to Why Paul? And welcome back from break. I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. And as we uh, continue with our Ephesians, I will just uh, point out that, um, yes, if you ever wanted to call in um, to our show, to our radio program, uh, to call the 888-346-9141. And 14th Street Ministries, we are a listener-supported ministry. We're all volunteers with no payroll, and your donations are most appreciated. Uh, so if you would like to support this ministry to help pay for the broadcast programming time, you can send your donations to 14th Street Ministries at 366 Woods Avenue, Newark, Ohio, 43055. And we'll jump back into our Ephesians. Uh, looks like um, Ephesians 4.2. I'll go ahead and read that. Okay. Uh, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. So we, we read about our vocation of walking worthy in verse 1, and then verse 2 tells us that how we're supposed to do it with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another love. The idea there is our vocation is not to be exercised with, with pride or arrogance, but with lowliness, meekness, long-suffering. The word forbearing means patience or long-suffering. Look with me, if you would, at Colossians 3. You probably recall that in the past of our studies in Ephesians, we go to Colossians a lot, and so we're going to do it again. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Reads very similar to Ephesians 4.2, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. What those verses are telling us is forbearance is a huge part of the Christian life. And I'll just put it this way. As a a saint, as a member of the body of Christ, you don't always have to be right. You don't always have to defend yourself. You don't always have to get the last word. A lot of times what you do as a saint 
is you endure mistreatment or you endure things for the sake of preserving the relationship. Do you, do you ever know situations where people squabble and one person's mad and the other person's mad and they just, you know, and the relationship is broken and it's damaged mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. never repaired? Well, one of the healthiest things you can do in any in any relationship is to develop the ability to forbear, the, the ability to be long-suffering, develop the ability to forgive. And there are times when, you know, and this is a good practice, you can forgive even when the other person is in the wrong, or you mm-hmm. can forbear even when the other person is in the wrong. And that's a, that's a healthy thing to do. Uh, what I have, this is my own personal observation, you can decide for yourself. But I've had a number of, of situations in my life where, in my perception, I would have been within my rights to, in human terms, to tell someone off, you know, because they had acted improperly and it would have been appropriate in human terms for me to tell them so. Um, they were out of line. But I'm, I'm amazed at how often when you just shut your mouth, mm-hmm. you know, ne- never miss a good opportunity to shut up. That, that's, that's good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you endure the wrong. And then later on, that person decides your buddies. And, and life sometimes is like that, where in other words, when you forbear and you're long suffering, you can enable relationships to exist that otherwise would not exist. And I would tell you that's a practical application of grace because you know what we're good at? We're really good at why we're right. And we're really good at defending ourselves. But what we need to be better at is we need to be better at forbearing. We need to be better at forgiving. In Romans 14, Paul talks about the stronger brother and the weaker brother. And what I would suggest to you is that your job as a saved person is to be the stronger brother, the one that endures wrongs, not the one that wins the arguments, but the one that endures the wrong because your ultimate goal is not to be right. It's not to win the argument, but it's to preserve the relationship so that you can be a spiritual influence in that person's life. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, way, you, and that way you don't have any regrets either. So, mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage our listeners in this regard, as you think about your life, think about the neighbors you have, the coworkers, the friends, the relatives, <laughs> you likely know more spiritual truth than many of them, if not all of them, right? Let me put it this way. If you're saved and you know the gospel, you know more than 90% of the people in your circle mm-hmm. of influence, right? True. Mm-hmm. If, if we count your neighbors and your coworkers and the people you bump into at McDonald's and all the rest, well, that means you can be the conduit. You can be the source of truth in that person's life. So you need to preserve that relationship at all costs because you never know when you're going to have an opportunity to give them a word fitly spoken. Yeah, right, that's right, mm-hmm. absolutely right, and, and and I think we need to think about life that way because life is really about how can we influence people for the sake of the gospel. It's to be the guiding principle in human relationships. How do I preserve this relationship? How do I develop this relationship so that I can influence them for the sake of the gospel of Christ? And that's what forbearing is about. So those are some thoughts on verse two, and we can. Uh, if anyone wants to comment, you can comment, and then we'll move on to verse three. It yeah, is that, very powerful. Yeah. And definitely that, the, the forbearance um, part, you know, being huge in part of the Christian life, because um, 
and not being the one to say, well, I want to get the last word in. Well, if you love, that's a benefit to you. It, yeah. It uh, strengthens you to love somebody else, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. It does. And it is a difference between being led by the spirit and being led by the flesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the flesh is good at, at reacting, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. That's a very, very good point. Yeah, it gets me in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ephesians 4.3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. One of the things we should do as saved people is we should pursue peace. Um, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That's what Romans 12, 8 says. Mm-hmm. Um, the verse I want to look at right now is Proverbs 15, verse 1. Proverbs 15, verse 1. And it says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So do you ever have a situation where someone says something to you and you, you know, you just, you, you're ready to respond in kind. You're ready to fire right back at them. Well, the, the better course of action is if you give them a soft answer, what does it do? It diffuses the situation. It, it, it turns away wrath. When someone says something aggressive, you can respond with something aggressive and then they'll ratchet it up and that doesn't go to a good place. But the soft answer turneth away wrath. Proverbs 25, 15 then, then says this. By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. Um, the idea there is this. We sometimes think, you know, the, the aggressive answer is the stronger thing to do. Well, spiritually, the strongest thing you can do is to be soft, mm-hmm. is to be forbearing, to be gentle, to be meekness. The way life works on earth, there's plenty of harshness right? There's plenty of Mm -hmm. anger and vitriol and mean-spiritedness and so on. The much stronger thing to do is to just be gentle, to just Mm -hmm. be soft, because it's it's spiritually powerful. Um, I heard someone once say, and I thought this was a a smart thing to say, (laughs) we're not required to attend every argument to which we're invited. You know, Mm -hmm. do you ever find people just want to fight? And yeah, they, they just want to argue about stuff. Well, you know, there's some parties you're better off not attending. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think it's just best often to decline those things. Yeah, um, someone because, says, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, Michael. If, if somebody says, uh, Mike, you're a jerk, say, yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. You're right. You, right. <laughs> you don't know the half of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> what else could they say? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah, you've got a great point. Um, it's, it's best to some, no, I, I really appreciate that because it's just, we need to get away from it being all about us mm-hmm. and we need to have more of how, how can I operate to benefit the other person, right? Yeah. And you can have more fun in that too. So <laughs> it's just healthier. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Did anyone else have a comment on that? Well, so, when we, um, uh, I had trained, um, agents to take calls, customer service calls. And that's one of the training is how to keep the same tone so that when the customer is escalating, that you don't escalate with it. And Mm -hmm. that's a really good, you know, practice, not only to use, um, you know, in a workplace, 
but when, you know, calling, you know, customers are calling in, but in our everyday life, you yes. know, and, and our responses, you know, um, are they going to trigger, a, you know, a, a worse response? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course it makes for a really great, you know, gossip when you have something to talk about. Did you see what that lady in the car did? You know, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, um, but, you know, keeping those relationships and keeping our testimony by our responses. Yes. And, and just to remind our, our, our listeners, you know, the gospel is, is, is very simple and straightforward. Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. That's 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. The gospel doesn't pertain to your works or tithing or water baptism or joining a church or starting some good habits or quitting some bad habits. Those are all works. Mm-hmm. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, you can be saved in an instant, in a moment, not by joining something and not by giving something, but by in your inner man, in your your inside, having faith in the gospel, trusting the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you on the cross. And we just encourage everyone to do that because it's the difference between eternal life and eternal death. And so, uh, you know, we would ask you to soberly consider that and resolve that issue. Second Corinthians six says, behold, now is the day of salvation. Um, so there's really no better time. And there's things in that gift that we can't even imagine. It's more than just salvation. There's so much more to it. And yes, there more. is. Yes, there is. And so we, we hope that all of our listeners, what we really hope is that no one misses out on that because the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell is you just can't fix that on the other side of death. You have to fix that now. And, um, that's, that's why we're spending time on the program talking to people is we, we want people to have clarity on that. Yeah. It's so simple. It's a simple free gift. Believing in the death, burial and resurrection. Yes. So appreciate appreciate all the listeners tuning in. Um, we're sort of at a convenient stopping point before we get into Ephesians four four. So we wanted to you know cover the gospel, but uh, appreciate the questions very much. Yes, and and we have some um, some more coming in. Pam, you'll check with our um, Facebook mm-hmm. Live to gather up those questions. Uh, we have some another question from Christopher Davis, um, Larry Hines. Um, okay. leaves another message with us. So we'll check all those. And we do appreciate um, everyone joining us today and have an awesome week. And I think the the word I take from this whole um, program today is that forbearance, to remember to use our forbearance um, in our relationships. Uh, so uh, we'll see everybody back here next week. You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com and please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. Yeah.